You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. You'll remember that last week we kicked off this new sermon series through the letters of John. We're going to spend 11 weeks in 1 John, then just one week in 2 John, one week in 3 John, and then we'll call it a summer. And we moved directly into these letters um, because it seemed to make some sense to me that after spending 15 months in John's gospel, which he wrote in close proximity to these letters, that we trusted him to reveal to us and to, and to talk to us about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then he wrote these letters to friends of his, to people he loved, and, and, and really with the heart of, what now? What do I make of that in light of the gospel? What are some things that matter to John for his friends to know? How, do we, how does John want us to be applying the gospel in our lives or in light of some of the things that were, that were going on? And so uh, if you've been with Mercy's Door, then you have the benefit of having seen the pastoral heart of John throughout this whole gospel that he, that he wrote leading into these letters that he then pens uh, for his friends. But if you missed the gospel sermon series, uh, this is not out of touch or out of reach to you, but I caution you to say that John makes some assumptions in this letter that you've read his gospel and that you, you understand who Jesus is and what, it, what he means when he says that in him is, is life, that he is the word of life, that he was in the beginning and all sorts of things. And so I would encourage you if you were not here for that, for you to make that a project of yours this summer, to go and read John, the Gospel of John, in order that these letters would, would have a, a greater grasp on you, or otherwise pick another Gospel and ensure that you understand it. I talked to you guys a little bit about uh, my concern that if we didn't drink deeply the spiritual milk of the Gospel, that we would find some of the meat in 1 John to be difficult to chew. Uh, that these are some doctrines that, that the apostles say that we grow up into. And so if you find that some of these doctrines are challenging, I just say it may be that it, the challenge is with the deep-rooted belief in the gospel in order that these other meteor uh, doctrines would be peace to you rather than uh, fear or condemnation. Now, I, I say that on the front end of today's sermon because this passage is somewhat notorious for sowing seeds of insecurity in the saints. And I want it to be the last thing that happens this morning, that we would sow seeds of insecurity in the children of God. Especially given that I said to you guys last week what John said, which is that his whole purpose in writing this letter is that those who believe in the name of the Son of God would know that they have eternal life. His whole purpose in writing this letter is assurance for believers. This letter is written to Christians. And he says that his heart in writing it is that you would know what you know. And that you would walk in it. And so my invitation to you this morning is to listen for the heart of a pastor in John. And to see how he might be framing this to try to draw those who belong to Christ into deeper assurance of that which is their possession. And I want you also to see that when he calls us into behaviors that reflect those truths, what he's saying is that when we walk in and experience those things which are already true, we testify, these things testify back to us the truth about them. For example, 
Maybe not for example. I'm just going to give you my sermon point, and then I'm going to preach it to you. Confession of sin, church, is a confession of faith. This is my main point and my main takeaway all day this morning, that confession of sin is confession of faith. And John's going to help us understand why, okay? Now, last week we talked about um, how John had uh, been working against some heresies. If you weren't here for that, quick summary, there were people already in the first century claiming that Jesus didn't really have a body, okay? That's all I'm going to say about it. And John was like, that's nonsense because I saw him and I heard him and I, and I studied him and I even uh, beheld him with my hands. I touched him. And he, he's ma- he makes this kind of, this concrete claim that that which was from the beginning concerning this word of life, this Jesus Christ, he dwelt among us. And the apostles know it because they were there. And our testimony is true. And we're proclaiming it to you. Just simple, we're simply proclaiming a testimony to you. And I warned you guys last week, a warning that you have to carry with you into today's message, that in some ways we tend to disembody the teachings of Jesus from the person of Jesus, and in that way we're not all that different from some of the first century heretics. That sometimes we tend to believe that as Christians, what makes us Christian is that we follow the teachings of Jesus, that that's what makes you a Christian, that it's the teachings that we follow not the person of Jesus. It's about what we do following what he said, not what he did in his life, death, and resurrection that makes you a Christian. And that is a different religion, and it is a false gospel. And it's subtle, and it can look a lot like Christianity. In fact, two people can be walking side by side, and to outward appearances, everything looks the same. But for one, I obey in order to become. And for the other, I obey because this is who I am. And this is Christianity over here, that we obey because of who we are. And John wants to get after that this morning, but he's saying you're going to start treating Jesus like he is a body of teaching rather than that he is a God become flesh who lived and died and rose for you when you start denying the narrative, the testimony of what God did, not just what Jesus taught. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the things that Jesus taught only matter if the testimony of his life, death, and resurrection are true. If he never lived, then he never said these things. Somebody made that up, and you shouldn't listen to them. If he never rose, then all the things that he said, the claims were false, and he was lying, and you shouldn't listen to him. The body of teaching of the life of Jesus Christ only matters if he is who he said he was. And so our hope as Christians is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not in our ability to attain something for ourselves through our obedience to his teaching, and yet his teaching is of utmost importance because it is how we demonstrate our love for the person of Jesus Christ. He who loves me is he who obeys my commandments, right? Well, here's what we read in the letter of 1 John, is that there's this gospel, this word of life, he says, concerning the word of life, back in our, our, his introduction, his prologue, he said there's this, this word of life, this gospel, and he's pointing his readers back to the gospel that he had written, that in the beginning was the word, and that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John's like, hey, in the beginning was the word of life, and he is light. It's like we've heard this before, right? Again, go back and read the gospel of John if, you, if you're not recognizing uh, the similarity there. And so he's pointing us to this word of life. And again, the word of life is a person. The word become flesh, Jesus Christ. 
So he's saying concerning this word of life, we have a testimony. We testify to the events of his life, death, and resurrection, and we proclaim it to you. And he said that he did it for two, he's doing it for two reasons. In, John, in 1 John chapter 5, he says, I'm writing this in order that you who believe in the name of the Son of God would know that you have eternal life. And he says in his introduction that he's writing these things to us in order that we too would have fellowship with the apostles and their fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And so sandwiched between his, his prologue and his conclusion is the body of his letter. But in his prologue, he says, I'm writing this because I want you to have fellowship with us. With the he wants the church to have fellowship with, the, with other Christians and with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. And then at the end of his, of his letter, he says, and I'm wanting through fellowship with the Father and with the saints for you to know that you have eternal life. That's what he's, he's getting after. And if he's writing this to those who have believed in the name of the Son of God, then that means, like I said, he is writing it to Christians. But he's going to say some things to his Christian audience that, that if we're not careful to remember that he's writing to us, we're going to make it mean some things that it doesn't mean. So hold that intention in the back of your mind that John is writing to you and he's assuming that you are a Christian as he says these things. He says in verse 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. And so this message, this message concerning the word of life, the gospel message he's reminding you is not John's message. And so I'm making some assumptions, and John is making some assumptions, but I don't want to make assumptions if I'm wrongly making them about you, that you are believing the word that was given to John, the testimony about the actual Jesus Christ. Because if he's just a body of teaching, then you can manipulate the body of teaching, and you can really ascribe it to any speaker. You could just mark anonymous and be like, the teaching is valid regardless of who said it, and we're just going to follow the teaching. We're not talking about a teaching. We are talking about a testimony. John is not talking about the body of Jesus' teaching when he says, this is the message that we are writing to you. The message that he's talking about is the message concerning the word of life, the message of the gospel, which is a testimony, it's a history account, it's a narrative about God becoming flesh and living among us and dying for us and rising again and uniting his saints to him in new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of life that he is referring to. This is the message that he has heard from him and that he proclaims to us, the message of the gospel. And this is what he has to say about that, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen? God is light. It's not the first time that we've heard this from John. Jesus says it about himself. We understand that God is light, but he sets up what he's about to say with this declaration. It's just a, it's just a truth statement. God is light light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John 1, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4, in him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in him was light. In fact, Jesus Christ, who is from the beginning, is he who spoke, let there be light, in the very beginning. And then when darkness fell on the face of the earth, when sin entered the world, God, who is light, entered into the creation story. He himself 
being light, and he shined in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So that in John 3.16, everybody knows this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But John says, I'm writing to those who have believed in the name of the only Son of God. And John said in his gospel that he who believes in the name of the Son of God is not condemned but has eternal life. But he who has not believed is already condemned. And he says, this is why. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, in John chapter 8, a little further in the gospel, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we, John kind of sets up in, in the way that he presents these stories about Jesus being light. He says, Jesus was the light from the very beginning. Jesus is the light that provides life to all mankind, and when darkness and death fell upon the face of the earth, Jesus, as light, came and dwelled bodily among us and shone that light into the darkness, and those who believe in him walk in the light and have eternal life, and those who love the darkness flee from the light because they don't want their the wickedness to be exposed, and those people are already condemned, he said. But, but Jesus gives us the, the, the picture of what it looks like to not be found among the one group, but to be found among the other. And he says this, given that I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Whoever follows me, well, Matthew 16, another gospel, says this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So Jesus says, I'm the light, and whoever follows me is found in the light and has the light of life. What does it mean to follow you, Jesus? It means to die, to take up your cross and to die. Well, how do I die? Well, you die to your flesh, church, by, have, by, by acknowledging your, sin, your, your flesh as crucified on the cross with Jesus. This is what Paul said when he said that, that I have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we say that you are made a new creation, what we're talking about is a new nature coming upon you by the grace of God because the Holy Spirit indwelled you and changed your very nature so that your flesh no longer reigns, but that the Holy Spirit reigns in you well, how do I get that? I've got to follow him really hard, right? Well, no, because Jesus is not a body of teaching. Jesus is a person. 
And so we don't have this imagery of you're drowning in an ocean and Jesus sends you an inflatable life raft with instructions on how to use it and you're in there blowing it up so that you can, by following his teaching, save yourself. We're talking about people who are dead at the bottom of the sea and Jesus, the person, reaches down and grabs you and resuscitates you and puts new life in you and because he now lives in you and the old you is dead and the new you lives, that you walks in keeping with his teaching because it is he who reigns in you. Because the love of Christ compels and controls us. This is what it means to walk in the light. It means that the light is in you and he is compelling and, and, and he's taken the controls of your life and he is putting your flesh to death and you are walking in the newness of life with him in obedience to him. So that means you never sin, right? Well, John wants to talk about that. 1 John Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's holy, he is perfect, he is pure. And if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, we're going to talk about that, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jumping down just a verse, if, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness, church? And how? Well, you walk in the light. Well, how do you walk in the light? A.W. Pink said that the difference between an empty professor and the child of God is not the absence of sin, but the grief over it. When God reigns in you, when the Holy Spirit has taken up the controls of your life, he does not abide in sin. He will not permit you to just walk in it. This imagery of walking in it is like as you are going that this is life, that this is, that, 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 that this is picture of what Jesus warned against. This is the judgment from the Gospel of John, that we loved the light, we, prefer, or we loved the darkness, and we hated the light, and so we would not approach the light because we did not want our wickedness exposed. So this is what he, he, a picture that he gives us over here, and then over here he says, he describes that as walking in darkness, that you're walking in it, that you, that you are, you've made a habit of it, that you, have dis- that you have determined to remain in it, and you are making conscious decisions to avoid the light in order that you can keep your sin concealed. You prefer it, and you'd like to keep it, and so you've hidden it away. You've justified it. You've called it things that it is not. You have made it your friend. You keep it in the room. You sleep with it. You pet it. You name it. You're walking in the darkness. And then to say that you have fellowship with him while you're doing that, he's saying, well, that's, that's impossible because there is no darkness in perfect light. You can't, like, that would be impossible. How could you fellowship with God who is light and in whom there is no darkness while you're walking in darkness? That would be impossible. That would be like saying I'm in the new earth where the glory of God is the light that shines on the whole land and I'm walking in darkness and claiming that I'm in the new earth. That would be a non-category, right? 
Here we're saying that that God who is light is living in you and you're walking in darkness. He's saying that's not possible. And you guys are sitting on the edge of your seat saying, well, then what's darkness? Because I definitely sin. To walk in the darkness would be the opposite of the confession of sin. And I told you at the beginning that my main takeaway for today is that confession of sin is confession of faith. Regarding the, the passage that I, I quoted you from the gospel, we said that anyone who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, uh, that, that he's the one who is saved, right? But we're not just talking about salvation. We're talking about communion and fellowship, aren't we? When we talk about the confession of sin, there was a, a story that came to mind um, in regards to what happens in fellowship. I, you guys know this, but we just are super uncomfortable talking about it. So I'll just say it direct, and then you guys can send me an email later if it, if it goes down hard. Your sin as a Christian cannot make you not Christian, okay? Because, again, you're not made a Christian by your obedience, you're made a Christian by a work that Jesus did in you. And then after that work happens, you are able to go and surrender to the old nature, aren't you? To, to fight that war between the, the, the spirit and the flesh and to sin in any given moment, right? And when you sin, you are no less a son of God, but you can break fellowship with him and his other sons. And John is concerned here with fellowship, with God. He said his reason for writing this is that we would know that we have eternal life and that we would join them in fellowship, join the other apostles and God in fellowship, which means there's a category of people that, in John's mind, have eternal life but are not walking in fellowship with the apostles and with the Father and the Son. And he desires for them to have fellowship, and they can break their fellowship. How? By walking in darkness, because you cannot walk in darkness and simultaneously be fellowshipping with God, who is light. This is fairly simple to say, but let's apply it to your, to your real life. I'll tell you a story. Last week, um, I, I had been super sick leading up to Sunday, uh, all week long, and I had told myself, I had prepped a, a video to play for you guys on Sunday in case I wasn't ready to preach because I was a mess. And I labored at it and I got myself into the pulpit and I preached. Um, and when I got here, between the air show and Mother's Day and sickness and travel, half the church was not here. Last Sunday was nuts. And somewhere along the way while I was preaching, I resented the, the flock. I sat there and something very ugly bubbled up in me, something that I, I had up until that point really been unfamiliar with as a pastor. I've only been at this as a, in a full-time occupation for a year. And for the first time, this became the Adam Vega show. And you guys come here to hear me speak. And why didn't I just run the video if you guys weren't going to be here? And, 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 and you guys aren't appreciating the work that I put into this or how sick I am or whatever. I don't even know what the words to put to it are. But around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, after I finished preaching, I got a taste of the ugliness. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I had to reach out to the other pastors and confess my sin to them. Be like, guys, I'm a mess. 
I'm supposed to love the flock, and, and right now I'm bitter and I'm resenting, and I'm like, what is wrong with me, right? And they had to preach the gospel to me, and I had to take that confession and direct it to the Lord, bring myself low before him, and he had to rebuke and correct me in order that I could be restored. But I'll tell you, even just for those few hours that somehow this became about me, that was my sin at, at the core, there was more to it, but layers of sin, we had broken fellowship. You didn't know it yet, but if I would have held on to it, you eventually would have for sure, right? You've maybe been to some churches with some fallout where a guy made a mess, right? From holding on to sin and having sustained broken fellowship. But at least for a few hours, we had broken fellowship, but just fortunately, I, I was the only one who knew it. But we weren't family anymore. You now existed to serve me and to stroke my ego and to make me feel respected and appreciated or whatever. And because now I was using you to, to feed my sin, our fellowship was broken. Even, but we were no less brother and sister in that moment, both of us still enjoying the, the, the grace of God to cover those sins. But until I confessed it, I had broken fellowship with you guys. And I dreaded to think about what it would have felt like if that festered because that was messy, even for just a few hours. And I would just pause and be like, please don't internalize any of that. It's 100% on me. That's my confession. You guys did nothing wrong. Confession of sin helps to restore fellowship, but walking in sin distorts and breaks fellowship. And John is interested in this section with talking to us about, um, you see what he says here, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So why can I stand up here now confident that our fellowship is restored, partly because he didn't know it was broken, but confident that our fellowship is restored is, be, is not because I'm counting on you guys to not now have a sinful response to knowing that I'm a sinner, because you'll have to deal with that on your side of things. But it's this, that by walking in the light, I know that my Lord is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And this is what you need also. You cannot have restored fellowship with one another or with the Lord unless he rids the presence of darkness from you in order that you can, you can fellowship in the light. And this is, not like a, this is not like a word picture. This is a reality. When Jesus was praying, if you guys were with us in, uh, in, in the gospel uh, sermon series, you'll remember in the high priestly prayer in John 17 that at the end of it, Jesus says this, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who are going to believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, he's praying that we would be in them, the Father and the Son, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then in 1 John, John says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How can Jesus simultaneously say that he wants us to be in him and claim that there is no darkness in him at all? If you are found in Christ, somehow you don't make him dark. His light makes you pure. And that's the promise that John is making here, that if we confess our sins, meaning walk in the light, 
He forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you want to walk in the light, you have to confess your sin, and then watch as the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. You are actually made pure. You are actually cleansed of all unrighteousness. It's not a word picture. It's a reality. You are made clean. You are made able and fitting to be in the one who is light. And see, some of you, you hide your sin. This is where the hard word comes in. Some of y'all are hiding your sin because you've told yourself that if God is light, if he is pure, if he is holy, and there's no darkness in him at all, and you take an accounting of the darkness in you, you say, this is incompatible. And I cannot come to him, and I cannot confess, and the only safe place for me is in hiding. And so you persist in your sin, seeking to make yourself compatible with God in order that you can approach him because this light being is only going to commune with a light being, and I'm not a light being. And I don't know what that is. You can give it a name, but it's not Christianity. And it's not the gospel. The gospel says that you go in your filth, in your sin, in your darkness before the Lord, and you confess faith in the Son by confessing your sin. You, you do not believe that Jesus Christ lived for you if you think that you need to live well enough to make yourself, uh, to make yourself approachable to God. You do not believe that Christ died for you if you believe that you need to sufficiently punish yourself before you can approach God. You do not believe that he rose for you if you are still warring against death and trying to make this life the, the, your, your hope and your, and your security. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll follow me. And if you follow me, you will die to yourself. Die to yourself, church to set aside all of the hopes of a lesser righteousness that you could gain for yourself and to cling to the one who is light because the darkness cannot overcome it. If you are not confessing your sin, you are not believing the gospel. And if you are not believing the gospel, you will not confess the son. And this is kind of my, my, what I want to go with this is John, in this particular section, remember, when you write a letter to someone, you normally sit down and read it in one sitting, and then we preach it over like 11 weeks, and so it can make it weird. But John, pretty quickly, in the next chapter, is going to talk about confession of the Son. He's going to talk about it again in 1 John chapter 4, about confessing the Son. He's interested in this theme of confession, but he's not only interested in confession of sin. He's interested in confessing the Son, in confessing the Christ. And confession of sin is a step toward confessing the Son. You're only going to do it if you believe that Jesus Christ did what he did and is who he said he is. And so we confess him by confessing our sin. In Psalm 32, this is a psalm that uh, David penned about um, uh, a, a particular season of sin that he had in his life. He said this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, 
who's found in Christ. You understand? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found, and surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Friends, we confess our sins to the Lord because it's a confession of faith that he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess because we are believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you know why the Father delights to forgive you of your sins when you confess them? Because it glorifies the work of his Son. The whole point is to give great glory to his Son who covers your sin. He delights to apply the, blood, the sacrificial blood of Jesus to the sins of his church. So you confess in all confidence. And listen to this. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And this is the second roadblock I want to point out. It's not just that you think you're incompatible, like I'm the dark being and he's the light being, and so I can't come to him. That's one thing. But it's also that we think that he's not faithful or that he's not just to forgive us in our sins. Now, faithfulness suggests a level of steadfastness, that he's going to do what he said, and he's going to do it every time. And so we doubt his faithfulness, and so we think that we've got to kind of approach him with a tiptoe, that we've got to walk on eggshells when we come to God, because we're not sure if he's going to forgive. We know we can. We know he has before. We don't know if he will this time. And so we approach him carefully. And this is where the Catholics pray to Mary. And they ask his mom for help because Jesus surely can't resist his mother. And, and, and they ask for the dead saints to intercede for them because I'm not confident walking before the throne room of grace on my own. I'm going to need somebody standing between me. And it's not Jesus because I, I don't know that, he, that he's going to be faithful to forgive us our sins. I'm going to need help. And we accumulate for ourselves all kind of lesser things to try to make us more approachable to God. And it's false religion. And it's a false gospel. Jesus is faithful. You can count on him. There is one mediator between God and man. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stands in for you. He is your advocate. We're going to get there next week. But he's your advocate. He's making an eternal appeal for you at the right hand of the Father. He is faithful. And next, we accuse him of being unjust for forgiving sin. And this is in part, these are really, really two parts to this. One is that we don't, because of, because of the sin that's in us and the wickedness in us, also because of some holiness in us, it just depends on where you're at. I'm just making some assumptions that it's mostly wickedness here. We don't want other people's sins forgiven. We think that would be unjust. And so we want justice to roll down on the sins of others while wanting to appeal to grace and mercy and forgiveness for our sins. And because of that tension, we're, we're not sure that I, can, that I can go to God and receive justice and forgiveness 
at the same time. It's because we misunderstand what happened at the cross. Listen, our just God will not punish sin twice. He took a full accounting of your sin. And so you think he's being unjust when he forgives your sin because you know it deserves punishing. And so you think, surely he can't forgive me because this justly needs to be punished. And you are denying that that is what happened at Calvary. And so you can't go to him because it would be unjust to, to forgive you because your sins haven't been paid for. And you are disbelieving that the son died for your sins. The father is not caught off guard by your sins. He saw them and he hated them. His wrath was kindled against them. But there's this blessed assurance, church, that he took your sin, the body of your sin, past, present, and future, and he pinned it on the shoulders of his son as a substitutionary atonement for you, and he poured out his wrath there. And all of it was absorbed. And your sin was judged. His justice rolled down, but not on you. And so you can go to him with your sin in the full confidence that it has been paid for, so he is just to forgive you. He's just to forgive you. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, this is 1 John 2, 23, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You're having a hard time confessing your sin because you're not confessing the Christ. Speak out loud and declare the truth of the Son and watch how soon after confession of sin will follow. I assure you, it chases right behind. 1 John chapter 4, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Confess the Son and it will enable you to confess your sin. And that's why it is a schizophrenia to John to say that while you're walking in darkness that you'd say you have fellowship with God. That doesn't make any sense. Fellowshipping with God through confessing the Son that he might abide in you because he abides in you. Confessing the Son means I have the Father also. This is fellowship with God, confessing the Son. And when we do that, we confess our sin. So if you're walking in darkness, you're not confessing the Son, and you're breaking fellowship, and you're breaking fellowship. And some of you guys have such a hard time hearing from the Lord. You barely care anymore about your sin. You've been hiding it for so long that you don't hear God at all anymore in the areas where you have made friends with your sin because you've broken fellowship. Just put more and more distance. I don't want to look. I don't want to hear. I, don't, I won't approach the light because I want, to, I want to protect my sin. And whether it's because you're afraid of being outed because you don't know him, or whether it's, because it, whether it's that you do know him but you just, just preferred your sin, the day of repentance is today. The day to confess is today. 
Church, you must confess your sin. Male friendship at this church, this is my last application promise. Male friendship at our church is something that, is, uh, that I've been praying for this year. When I went before God 2023 in mind, I said, what are some things I'd love to see him do here? And one of the things that I'd love to see him do in 2023 is really deepen male friendship in the church. And I'm convinced that one of the obstacles to deepening male friendship in the church is unconfessed sin. That I don't want to be really known because that would require me to say the thing. And I don't want to say the thing because I'm not confident that it, will, that it will be covered and that he is faithful and just to forgive me. Or maybe I am drawing on his grace. And if this is you, repent. I know he forgives me, but I prefer the approval of man. And so I, I don't hide it from God, so to speak, because he, he knows, he sees it. But I'm not going to risk being rejected by people. And so you're not allowed to know. And so I break fellowship with the saints. And you cannot break fellowship with the saints and keep strong fellowship with God because we are all one found in him. And if you won't be found with them, you won't be found with him. You can't spit out one without the other because we are one. If I had a pin, I'd drop it so we could all hear it. But the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind now the unconfessed sins, and you're going to need to decide whether or not you are going to obey the Holy Spirit and bring these hidden sins into the light, or if you're going to go another day breaking fellowship with God and with his people by making friends with your sin. John says, you want to know you have eternal life? You want that certainty? You want assurance? And you want fellowship with the Father, Son, and the apostles and the rest of the saints? Walk in the light by confessing your sin. I'll give you this confidence that you do it once, it gets easier the second time. Right now, I want to have you guys pause, consider where the Lord is moving. I'm not going to pray just yet. I'm going to let you hang out there. Right, you can, you can get the band ready. And after the Lord has given you an area that you need to confess, and I assure you there is one. While you're thinking about this, I'm going to give you a story while the band's getting ready. This is kind of an addendum. When my youngest, Gus, was uh, four years old, I think he was four, we had picked up a couple of friends from my other kids. Uh, they were coming to sleep over. And so we had all my kids, three kids, plus two more kids in the car, we were rushing home because Sarah and I and my wife had to get onto a Zoom call. And so we pull in the driveway, we hop out of the car, and we rush inside, hop on the Zoom call in the back of the house. And the kids come right inside, throw on the video game system, and start playing. Gus had long been able to get his own seatbelt off, but on this particular day, it was buried in his car seat, and he couldn't get it off. And all his friends, his brothers, climbed over him and ran inside and started playing. And my Zoom call was an hour and a half. And in all that time, his brothers, his mother, his father did not notice or know that he was locked in his car seat in the car. And when we went out there and I found, I came off the Zoom call, where's your brother? No one had noticed. 
I panic and I run outside and he's sleeping in the car. And he says, I cried out and I cried out, but nobody came. And then I prayed to God that he would give me super strength so I could rip the seatbelt, but he didn't do it. And then I prayed again that he would give me a Gatling gun so that I could shoot something and pull myself out, but he didn't do it. And then I fell asleep. It broke my heart. And for a year after that, he would not be the first one in the car. And he would not be the last one out of the car. Because something was broken. Now, you could say it was an accident. You could say all that. At some level, it was sin. Sin of hurry, sin of neglect, sin of whatever. But he had gone from knowing that my dad and my mom and my brothers would never climb over me and leave me locked in the car while they go play video games to not being sure <laughs> that that's always true. And that was the cost of sin. And what Gust needed was not a one-time kneel down and say, I'm sorry. He needed to see repentance. And so for the family, repentance meant we didn't ever make him the first one in the car or the last one out for a time. And we sought to restore that which we had broken because we were convicted that we had broken the stability of the fellowship with our boy. This is an imperfect illustration, but it gives you a picture. When you confess your sin, it doesn't make everything perfect in a moment. You might go home and feel like you're about to wreck your marriage. You might go home and feel like you're about to blow up that friendship. You might go home and feel like, if I say this, that everyone in my GC is going to turn on me. And maybe so. But you are not confessing your sin in order that you can get the approval and affirmations of man. You are doing it in order to walk in the light that you can testify with your lips that you believe the gospel. And that is going to do far more for others than it will even do for you as they see you trusting in the covering of Jesus even when it costs you as you die to yourself. But then watch as others come into the light and you will find a new community built that is stronger than it was while you were hiding your sin. Do you understand? I'm not telling you it's not going to be costly. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it because following Jesus always is. So I'm going to pray for you now that you'll do that.